Hello, and welcome to the McCovey Chronicles Happy Hour Podcast. My name is Sammy Higgins, and I was joined this week by Allison McCaig of Amazing Avenue. Allison and I broke down the trade deadline for our teams and go all in on the Mets ownership and the effect this had on the fan base. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Allison. Hi, everyone. Joining me this week is Allison McCaig from Amazing Avenue. Allison, thank you for joining me. How are you? Good. How are you, Sammy? I'm great. Thanks. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Um, so I am a, um, a recently graduated um, a PhD student. I still call myself a PhD student, but I'm not anymore. It's like really wild. Well, I have graduated. a PhD. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So I have a PhD in human genetics uh, from Johns Hopkins. Um, and I'm currently doing a postgraduate fellowship, a science policy fellowship with the New Jersey state government. Um, so New Jersey is where I hail from, which explains my Mets fandom. <laughs> and I have moved back to my ancestral homeland <laughs> um, to complete a science policy fellowship. Um, and I will hopefully end up in some sort of, you know, policy job, government job, advocacy job, et cetera. So that's kind of a little bit about me. I am um, obviously a rabid Mets fan, mm-hmm. grew up in New Jersey. Both sides of my families are native New Yorkers. Um, I lived in Baltimore for six years for grad school. Um, so I kind of became like a pseudo Orioles fan. So the Orioles are like my American league team, but yeah, I've loved baseball my entire life. Yeah. It's a very unfortunate existence to live. <laughs> yep. Um, is that a thing that is, is in terms of like, um, who's fan of which, who's a fan of which team over there? Is it, is there like a territory area or kind of, yeah, a little bit. Um, like, in the actual city itself, it's a little bit more territorial because obviously, like, Queens is, like, majority Mets fans and the Bronx is obviously overwhelmingly majority Yankees fans. Um, and I would say, like, the Bronx and obviously, like, parts of, like, most of Manhattan is Yankees. Um, and the boroughs are, like, kind of divided. Staten Island is very Yankees, whereas I feel like Brooklyn's a little more mixed because of the Dodgers tradition. Mm-hmm. But once you get, like, outside the city into the, like, tri-state area, um, it gets a little bit more of, like, a free-for-all. Um, like, the Yankees are obviously, like, the Mets are second fiddle in their own city. Gotcha. Like, the Yankees are majority almost everywhere except for Queens. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I grew up in a predominantly Yankees area of New Jersey um, just because it's heavily Italian American. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like uh, they tend to be Yankees fans. But yeah, my dad grew up in uh, Westchester County, New York. And there were a lot of Mets fans, I think, in his hometown. So it's kind of like a free for all once you get outside the city and inside the city. It's a little bit more tribal based on what borough you're in. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, I feel like San Fr- not San Francisco, the Bay Area is like predominantly Giants fans. And there's not, I, I don't know for sure, but it doesn't seem like there's, like, any rhyme or reason to where, like, the pockets of A's fans are. I guess closer to <laughs> Oakland. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we do this thing, we do this little getting to know you quiz with everybody. So we'll go ahead and ask you three questions. Um, so Great. the first one is, if you were commissioner for a day, what would you change? I would pay the minor leaguers more. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I would pay the minor leaguers more. I would mandate that I would make the teams do it. Um, and I would also, um, I do other like, you know, labor relate, I would negotiate other labor related changes. I would hopefully try to institute like, you know, a shorter time until arbitration or just a shorter time of team control in general. Cause I feel like that's, what's driving a lot of these, you know, issues in free agency. Um, so that's probably what I would focus on. But don't you know, the commissioner exists to make baseball money. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, (laughs) sure. Uh, (laughs) It's true. But we currently have a commissioner that I feel like doesn't even really like baseball all that much. Yeah, because I feel like that should be, like, number one on the job description. Must like baseball. Must like baseball. Must not want to, like, criminally shorten baseball games. Like, I understand the idea of, like, not wanting a lot of dead time in baseball games. And I'm I'm for, like, minor changes. Like, I was for the, you know, getting rid of the actually having to throw four pitches to do an intentional walk. Like, that makes sense. It's on the margins and, like, whatever. Mm -hmm. And, like, even a pitch clock, like, something like that I could get behind in theory. But, like... The like the like really, really, really like the changes that will really overhaul the game, like the putting a runner on second base and extra innings, like all that crap annoys me so much. Yeah, I agree. Um, And, you know, I get it. Like 
I get that games can be really long, especially... So we're recording this on Friday night, and so Allison just covered the Mets. Was it the Pirates? Yeah, the Pirates. And it's a, you know, in a blowout game, it can get really long and really dull. And sometimes, like the game I covered last week for the, um, is the Giants and the something. Sorry, slipped my mind. But it was like there was like a, a a replay review, and then another replay review, and then another replay review. And at that point, you're kind of like, yeah, I can see why we needed a pace of play change. But ultimately, like baseball's a long game. And that's yeah. kind of one of the things that you just embrace as a fan of baseball. And I don't think shaving off 10 minutes is really going to make that big of a difference in the long scheme of things. So I don't think it's really necessary to like bend over and like contort yourself in weird ways to try and change the game when it's like, that's just the game. That's what it is. Exactly. It is a leisurely sport. And right. I, I kind of appreciate that. Like, I tell my friends who like don't feel the way I feel about baseball and like prefer different sports. I tell them that like, you know, I am like, I, I've tried to get into hockey cause a lot of my fans are really into hockey and it seems like really fun. Like on the surface, I'm like, yeah, like I could get into this, but I am a simpleton and I like to pay attention to one thing at a time. <laughs> and baseball allows me to like, focus on one thing at a time. The pitcher is throwing, the hitter is hitting when the ball is hit, the fielder fields, the ball. I can see where everything is, but like in games like hockey and football, like I have no idea what's going on. There are just <laughs> piles of dudes. And I'm like, okay. uh, yeah. I mean, I can, I get the appeal of something like, like hockey or like basketball where it's like a scheduled amount of time. And then sometimes there'll be like overtime, but generally speaking, you know, when about how long the game's gonna go but that's not baseball it's never gonna be baseball right yeah right it's a completely different sport from the other major sports and that's what makes it beautiful i think right i agree um so if you had to give an impromptu ted talk about anything what could you talk about at length so um probably genetics honestly yeah, I, I would hope so <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'd probably talk about science, uh, something super genetics-y. Um, I would probably talk a lot about, because the thing that's been coming up lately in a lot of genetics circles is, you know, the troubling co-opting of genetics to, you know, feed the arguments of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And that's been a really fascinating discussion that people in my my social circles, my scientific social circles have been having, because the genetics community is like like they haven't done their job to address this problem and oh, so okay. i think if i had to give a ted talk about something like that i feel is important it would be that and now verging on going down the um as we call it the champagne room thread um we have on our website we have a um, a fan post where people can talk about things like that um this isn't something that is new correct like this is something that has been happening people have been using that for a long time, right? Right, right. The eugenics movement, obviously, was a thing that happened, but I think that the scientific community got a little too complacent and felt like that was ancient history, and there's a lot of, um, without getting too heavily political, obviously, there's a lot of, like, renewal of that sentiment in, you know, our general discourse, mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, uh, in America right now. I think everybody right got a little complacent on that. <laughs> Exactly. Agree. Agree. <laughs> and so, you know, you've got and, 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 you know, the science is becoming more advanced than ever and people can use it to prove whatever argument they want. <laughs> and so, you know, I think that the genetics community just doesn't hasn't done enough to push back against it and to make sure and make sure history doesn't repeat itself with the eugenics movement. So, yeah, I, I am nervous about that. OK, so. To, to lighten it up a little bit, we'll go yeah, with silly sorry to make No, the no, this is really perfect. That, no, 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 not at all. Because this is kind of why the, the way that this is structured is a little bit nice in that when we get a little bit serious on the TED Talk, we bring it back to food. So the third yeah. question is, um, what is your favorite ballpark food from any park? Oh, my God. This is such a loaded question because it's so <laughs> hard to choose. So I'm going to give a somewhat roundabout, long-winded answer to this because, in my opinion, and this is, like, 
people are going to accuse me of bias, I'm sure, but I have been to several ballparks. I have not just been to City Field, but in my opinion, the food overall at City Field, like just as a whole unit, is the best of any ballpark I have been to. Just the choices are incredible. There's just so many good ones. Um, so just as an overall like food, there isn't necessarily one specific food that I would say is the best. Uh, I can give a few. Nicoletta is a really good place. It's like an Italian place. They do like a chicken parm sub that's like fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, Blue Smoke is like a pulled pork. Um, and then there's like, there's obviously Shake Shack, but like there are Shake Shacks everywhere now. So it's like not as novel. It was like pretty novel when like City Field like first opened because I think it was like the second Shake Shack. But now there's like Shake Shacks all over the country. Oh, really? Uh, okay, I was going to ask if that's... Because I've heard about Shake Shack, but it, sound, it seemed to me like it was an East Coast thing. Yeah, it is mostly still an East Coast thing, but I, I mean... And it has sort of spread outward from New York, because, like, I remember when the first one opened in Baltimore, and I was like, oh, my God, and I, like, freaked <laughs> out. Um, but then... But I think there are some in, like, Texas now, too, and, like, other places that are not East Coast, but I don't think it's made it all the way to the other coast yet. No. Well, it kind of seems like the, the fervor of In-N-Out, it's like, if you live here, it's like, oh, yeah, In-N-Out, there's, like, one in every town, but when people come from out of the state, and they're like, oh, my God, In-N-Out, it's like, oh, whoa, right, I forgot. You don't have that. Right. I have never had In-N-Out before. Um, I think it just depends on which um, branch you go to, like, anything else, because... I feel like the last few times I've been to an In-N-Out, it's just been really depressing. So, Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so I will say, City Field, best overall food. There's just, like, a ton of options. They're all good. And every year they up their game by adding, like, three new gourmet places that are fabulous. But, like, one single item, even though this item is not in my, like, like probably objectively the best, like the best food. It is my personal favorite because it just, it's nostalgic for me. I really love the crab fries at um, Camden Yards. Okay. So for anyone that has not been to Camden Yards before, I, first of all, I highly recommend you go because in my opinion, it's the top three ballpark in baseball along with your lovely ballpark in San Francisco. thank you. Um, I would say like the top, like I have never actually been to San Francisco, but I want to go so badly. But I think like, in my opinion, the top three, just like aesthetically ballparks are PNC park Mm -hmm. and San Francisco and Camden Yards. That's my opinion. But Camden Yards has these, like, basically it's, uh, it's waffle fries and they dump crab dip on top of them and they put Old Bay on top of that. And it's so Maryland and so good. (laughs) Um, so weird so like the one of the things about like um well i guess oracle park now um <clears throat> is that you were talking you're saying something made you nostalgic and i was thinking man you know what makes me kind of nostalgic and it's the most random ballpark food to have like associated with like your younger years but like for me when i used to go to games with my dad when i was a teenager when the new par- when this park opened Clam chowder in a bread bowl. I've never seen that at another nice. ballpark. But that's like, they still sell it there. I just, it's to me, it's too messy to eat at the ballpark now. But right. um, I, you know what? No, next time I go, that's what I'm going to do. We're going to we're gonna take it back. Yeah, yeah. Maybe but, wait till it's like a little chillier. Although I guess yeah. it's like kind of the same there all the it's, time. Yeah, it's like 60 <laughs> degrees in the middle of like July. Like, I went well, that's to, acceptable. We went to a chowder. game on July 6th and everybody was in like jackets, blankets, and like pull up hat or pull over hats you know that's um, amazing to me san francisco is just a climate of its own because i went to i was at the mets game last sunday what turned out to be jason vargas's final start as a met which we may cover in the, in the, later oh, in the will. show but um it was so hot and i was like, like the thought of eating clam chowder in that oh, no. just like no no <laughs> and i but, think that's why it can only really work in san francisco because it's exactly they're like year round I guess the only other place I could think that would maybe have it would be Boston, no? Yeah, I could see that. And I could see, like, any maybe cold weather city. I think it's the San Francisco thing because we do have, like, Fisherman's Wharf. Yeah, uh, yeah. Where, like, the clam chowder. Well, yeah, you're right about Boston, absolutely. Or, like, um, yeah, it, it's good, but I don't think it would work everywhere, like you're saying. Because like, even a day yeah. game in San Francisco, hot. you're not going to want clam chowder because it gets hot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that, no, that's like such a unique and fun like food to have associated with the ball game. That's and cool. And it's nice to have parks that have like a wide variety like that. I would say um, so far, like the most popular bar- ballpark of the people that I've asked this question of have said Petco, which kind of surprised me. Mm. Yeah, and I heard some bad things. Um, 
maybe more about the location of the park than about the actual quality of the food, but that kind of surprised me. And so it's always nice to get everybody's perspective on these things because it helps you uh, plan your future baseball trips. I'm sad because I like I've been so I obviously have not been to the West Coast too many times because you know I'm all the way on the opposite side of the country but um, I've been to San Diego twice um, and each time I missed out on going to a baseball game and I'm so upset because I really wanted to check it off my list because I was like who the heck knows when I'm going to be in San Diego again the first time like the people so I was there for like a scientific conference and the people I was with like all decided to go to the game but it was when I had to present my poster it was like during that exact time and I was like are you kidding me and then the second time I went it was in October and so you know the the unfortunately for the San Diego fans the Padres were not playing anymore (laughs) no Uh, yeah that's I think fairly common (laughs) um yeah yeah okay so we'll be right back with Allison Uh, We like to ask all of our guests how they fell in love with baseball as a sport and their favorite team specifically. Um, Some people may may wonder why I ask this every week, but I think the answers so far have been kind of weaving a tapestry of commonality between fans across the league and from all walks of life. So I think it's been really interesting to hear what everyone has had to say. Um, So with that in mind, Allison, what's your story? I have like a, I would say like a fairly typical baseball family story. I mean, I... I'm from a baseball family, and so I grew up watching baseball games. Um, my dad is a huge, huge Mets fan, and so I was kind of doomed from day one, as they say. <laughs> my family is kind of a split family, actually. So you talk about you know the tribalism in, in the New York City area between Mets fans and Yankee fans. Um, my mom's side of the family are all from the Bronx, um, mm-hmm. so they are all Yankees fans. And my dad's side of the family are predominantly Mets fans, like, 80% of them, but there's like one small branch of that side of the family that are also Yankees fans. Um, so as a young child, uh, I feel like the two sides competed for my affections a little bit. <laughs> um, my mom like fully converted to the Mets when she married my dad, but she was, like, wasn't like... <laughs> because it is basically that's true <laughs> my cousin um, did the same she grew up an A's fan and when she married her husband she converted to Dodgers <laughs> <laughs> yep I, that's how it is and it's funny because it's funny that you draw that comparison because my parents are also of two different faiths although that was not yeah yeah they did but there was no conversion happening they're just two like my mom is Jewish and my dad is Catholic so I was also raised in like a hybrid like Chrismica household growing up as well (laughs) um so yeah so my mom just she was never really like on the Yankees like bandwagon hardcore she kind of was like neutral but her brothers really liked the Yankees but she kind of you know became more into baseball when she married my dad because it's like his passion and so she kind of converted to being a Mets fan um, but I think, you know, the, and the, it was fun because the early years of like my fandom were when the Mets and the Yankees were both really good. Mm-hmm. So it was like during like the 99 to 2000 era, um, the Mets won the wild card in 1999 and made the playoffs. And that was the Robin Ventura, like grand slam single, um, that everyone knows from Mets lore. Um, and then the 2000s, uh, world series was obviously the subway series between the Mets and the Yankees. Um, and I just have distinct, distinct memories of my dad, like being so stressed out during that. And I think like, and I started slowly just like coming to the Mets during that time. Um, just because I felt like they were such lovable underdogs against this like powerhouse Yankee team that was kind of like the Yankees were almost like on their way, like out of a contention cycle and the Mets were kind of rising. And so I felt like the Mets were taking down this, like trying to take down, they did not (laughs) trying to take down this like Goliath of a team. And plus like I grew up around mostly Yankee fans. So like, I don't know, I guess I was a little bit of an edge Lord as a kid and wanted to like troll my schoolmates. And so (laughs) I wanted to pick the team that no one else liked. So I was like kind of slowly already getting on the Mets side of things. But then I think what really sealed the deal for me was um, the Mike Piazza post 9-11 home run. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I have I was 11. um, So that was like a very formative like time in my life. And I just have such strong memories of being a child and being like 11 years old. And like, that's a really tough age to try to negotiate something like nine 11, because you're not so young that you don't understand it, but you're not old enough to be able to emotionally process that at all. 
And so, and especially like being in that area during the time, during that time, like they didn't let us outside for recess that day because from the roof of my school, you could see the towers burning. They didn't let Uh, us outside and we were on the West coast. Right. Like what the heck? I mean, anyway. Yeah. So like it's, um, and so I think like remembering being 11 and like feeling like that moment made me feel like everything was going to be okay. And so I just feel like that kind of, I, I was hooked from there on out. Like I was that it was over after that, you know? So the dreaded trade di- deadline was this last week. And I think that's probably what we should spend this episode talking about. So um, the giants, I think did really well. They didn't really do any like flashy trades. They didn't get any big names, um, but they were able to, I think walk a really fine line between um There was kind of going into the trade deadline, there was like two ways of thinking between Giants fans. There was a group that was like, sell, I don't care how well they're playing right now. It's, you know, it's a trap. They're going to start playing really bad after the deadline. That's just how these things work. Um, And then there was the other side that was like, you know, they've they've been playing really well. Maybe we could make this work. And, you know, there's people in the middle as well. But I felt like it was going to be a really fine line to walk because the Giants, um, do you follow the Giants at all? I have like nominally. Yes. Yes. So they went nuts in July and they became like the hottest team in baseball for like about three weeks and they just couldn't lose a game. Um, And this is after them being kind of similar story to like what the Mets have done take brought themselves up from the bottom of the heap to being possibly in contention with how weird this um, this batch of wildcard contenders is. And nobody's really... They also it. walked the Mets off three times in four games. This is true. Yeah, that was... Un- you, Mets had the unfortunate um, timing of being in the middle of that three-week streak. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so that kind of made things, I think, a little bit difficult for the front office. And I wasn't sure how they are going to be able to navigate that, if they were going to just, like, clear house anyway, go for the rebuild, piss everybody off. Or if they were going to, like, stand pat or, God forbid, be buyers at the trade deadline. Um, and they did a little bit of everything without, like, pissing anybody off, I would say. They yeah. kept Madison Bumgarner and Will Smith, which, you know, I, I had hoped that they would do because I liked them both a lot. They're very good at baseball. Yeah. Um, and But they did um, unload some of the relievers, and they managed to unload Mark Melanson, who had a very expensive contract. Um, and I think he still had another year left, and I think it was like $18 million. They somehow got um, the Braves to pay for that, which I think was the most impressive move of the entire day. Um, and they got players back for that, and I thought that was brilliant, and I, I, I didn't think it was possible. And there was a couple things like that. Like, they traded um, Drew Pomeranz and Ray Black for, I believe it was the Brewers' number three prospect. Wow. I, yeah. I, for I, Drew Pomeranz. For I'm Drew Pomeranz and Ray Black, who are very nice people. Um, I don't think worth a number three farm person, but Hey, um, so I thought that they did a very good job of like making the team better now, adding and improving the farm system and unloading some of the, you know, least desirable contracts that the team had. And I think picking up Drew Pomeranz kind of working it. So he seemed, I mean, they kept touting Drew Pomeranz, man, since they moved into the bullpen, he's been lights out. It's like, he had like four innings in the bullpen. But okay, but it worked. Yeah, but sell it, sell yeah, it. Yeah, they did, and it wasn't just like the team; it was like the beat writers were in on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's um, but, working together. <laughs> uh, but overall, I, I, they didn't do any like of the. They're not like one of the teams that was like talked about that day, like in terms of like, oh, they did really well. But I think they did. They think they did really well, just in a lower key way. Right. Um, yeah, I agree. So uh, how would you say the Mets did? Why don't you break that down for us? So the Mets were one of the more talked about teams during the trading deadline, but I don't think it wasn't really in a they won or they lost sort of way. It was in a what the heck are the Mets doing sort of way, (laughs) which I think is a sentiment that is shared among the fan base. I think that the Mets found themselves in a pretty similar position to the Giants, but like more surprisingly so because the Giants had been hot for, like you said, like three weeks going into the deadline. The Mets had only been hot for like a week going into the deadline, but they won six straight games like going into the deadline. So they basically took themselves from like not in contention at all to like at the fringes, like four games back in a crowded wild card race, basically. 
Yeah, but it's and, crowded, but it's tight. So it's like yes. anybody could still pull away with it. Exactly. Um, but the other, like, it's like a double-edged sword, right? Because, like, it when it's a tight race, everybody's sort of in it. But when everybody's in it, you need to play well and you need, like, five other teams to play badly. Right. So, like, that's the other, like, side of the coin, right? Is, like, you're also betting on more other teams to play badly as opposed to when you only have to leapfrog like one other team when you play that team directly you can just like gain a bunch of ground mm-hmm. but like when it's a crowded race like that and you're those teams like some of those teams have to win some days you know right so it's like it's it's rough um but anyway so the Mets kind of um kind I think that like the problem with the Mets and I was gonna do this for like my event segment but and I can expand on it more later um but the problem with the Mets is that I think that the front office like the front office has no cohesive plan or vision whatsoever Mm. and so they just like wake up that morning and decide what they want to do that day um and they're very known for like rage cutting players when they have a bad game that's what they did with um catcher Travis Darno Mm -hmm. he had he he was um he had Tommy John surgery so he had like a really long like time off really long rehab period even longer than like your typical Tommy John recovery. Mm-hmm. He finally came back this year. Um he was bad for a while. Um and then he started being a little bit better and everybody thought like maybe he's finally recovering and then he had like a horrific game where he made like two or three errors and like struck mm-hmm. out three times and the Mets caught him like right after that. They just decided, even though they they had invested so much in him, because he was ARB3, I think, and so he was being paid like $4.3 million. So instead of non-tendering him in the offseason, they held on to him, and then they just rage cut him like on April 30th or whatever oh the heck Oh, my God. Was. And now he's awesome for the Rays. Like, oh, awesome. is that where he is now? Yeah, he was on the Dodgers very briefly. The Dodgers picked him up after the Mets cut him. The Dodgers had him for like a week, and then mm-hmm. they traded him to the Rays. And yeah. ever since, he's been on the Rays, and he's been fantastic for them. So, like, that's the type of thing that happens to the Mets, like, all the time. Mm-hmm. And so the Mets just, like, wake up every day and decide what they want to do. So I think that <laughs> the Mets got hot going into the deadline. I think originally they were planning on selling off, like, Syndergaard and mm-hmm. Wheeler and uh, like a lot of their pitching pieces well yeah that was like all anybody talked about leading into the deadline like that weekend before the deadline it was like all anyone was talking about was Wheeler and Syndergaard yeah like because the you know the pitching market was not that flush with talent of of at least Syndergaard's level Wheeler was kind of along a similar Wheeler's kind of on a similar talent level to like Stroman and Robbie Ray and other pitchers that were made available but Syndergaard was like pretty much the best talent that was being shopped out there right um and I think that the Mets like were were actually intent on training Syndergaard because you you started to get the leaks that the Mets front office tends to leak when they're about to trade players because the other thing that the Mets do is that they tend to badmouth their players on the way yes. out oh they they badmouth their players while they're still in <laughs> oh yeah that too but it's like when the guy when they want to like they did that to Carlos Beltran when they mm-hmm. like they they ruined his reputation which was a very stellar reputation and they the Mets like tried to make it out like he was some sort of clubhouse problem they mm-hmm. did it to Matt they did it to Matt Harvey when oh, he was boy, on the did decline. They do it to Matt Harvey oh boy howdy yes <laughs> I could do a whole podcast segment about that that's another thing <laughs> Um, and they were, they were starting to talk about like Syndergaard isn't the clubhouse presence we want, which is like nonsense. So you could tell that they were setting it up for the trade. Then the Mets win six games in a row. And I think they kind of just like panicked and changed their (laughs) mind. And we're like, we're going for it. And then they just like acquired Stroman. And I was like, what are you doing? Yeah. That's what I, okay. So what? Yeah. What? Okay. What indeed? So So you don't have any more insight on what? the hell than I do I maybe a little bit but not okay. much okay. <laughs> let me tell you not much okay um I can tell you that the reaction to the trade itself on paper was split two ways there were people who absolutely flipped out angrily about it because they felt that the prospects we gave up were too much because the Mets farm system is so thin Mm -hmm. that we gave up like a huge percentage of our good prospects in that trade, which is true. But on the other hand, the Mets farm system is so thin that I think that people were overrating the actual value of these Ah. prospects that we gave up because they, in other teams systems in other teams that were competing for like these sorts of trades for other teams that could have acquired Stroman, like the Yankees, like the Padres, these other teams that are looking for pitching, they, they have way better prospects that they could have given up for Stroman and they didn't. And so I don't know, I'm kind of of the mind of like, 
if like it wasn't that high of a price to pay. And so, sure, get Stroman. He's a really good pitcher and a really fun player to have on my team. And maybe they can go for it in 2020. They have the nucleus to do so. Stroman has one more year of control. That is where the Mets, I think, are coming from. I don't think. Oh, go ahead. I don't think it was entirely about 2019 is all I was going to say. Gotcha. Okay. Cause that was something I wanted to ask you is like, if this was all like, if, if their plan was to go for it this year, or if they're setting up to regroup and focus on 2020, do you think they're going to have a push for the wild card or what do you, what do you foresee happening? I think they have a chance. Um, I, I say that because I think that their rotation is one of the best in baseball. Right. And I mean, I know Steven Matz pitched like crap today. It makes me sound like an idiot saying that. It happens. It happens. Everybody has bad game. And Matz has, you know, Matz is very hot and cold. Like he pit, like the last time he pitched against literally this same team, he he pitched a complete game shutout. So, wow. you know what? I have it's no baseball. idea. Baseball. So the Mets have, you know, now that they've upgraded from Vargas, who they is the one pitcher they did trade, but they traded him for essentially a bag of balls, the human equivalent <laughs> of that. Wow, uh, that's that's an insult. It is, but the, <laughs> no, the, the reason why one. I'm so I'm taking such a jaded bent at that is because mm-hmm. again, this goes back to front office stuff. Right. The the player that the Mets acquired for Jason Vargas uh, is friends with the owner's son. Oh, nepotism! Gotta love it. Yep, yep. A lot of that. A lot of that happens. So oh my goodness. I and I don't think it's like. I don't think that they like favored him or like promised him a favor or anything like that. I'm not going to go that far, but like I think he wanted to play like, for the Mets, I'm sure. And they made it happen. Yeah. And I think it's like, it's more like they needed some throw in player that wasn't actually all that valuable for Jason Vargas. Cause they were never going to get anything of value for Jason Vargas. And they just decided that like this of all that type of player is the player they would get because of this like nepotism thing. So were they trying to just unload him? Yes. Um, okay. He has so he has a team option for next year that is mm-hmm. nine million dollars, and the Mets absolutely do not want to pick up that option. And he has a two million dollar buyout, so they sent Vargas and two million dollars to the Phillies to avoid, like, to pay that buyout now to like clear up the books for next year, essentially. Wow. That's, yeah. That doesn't seem like the best. Uh... The best option, but I guess... Yeah, know. they were always going to trade him because they were never going to pick up his option. So I like I I honestly expected cash considerations. So the fact right. that they got like a human being is pretty incredible, even if it is, you know, Bradley Wilpon's buddy from college. Um, <laughs> but that's what we felt about the Melanson thing, too, is it's just like I wasn't ex- I was expecting maybe, you know, money. But the fact that we got players it's like, hey, that, that works out very nicely or slightly better. Yeah. So I do feel like the Mets are retooling for 2020 a little bit. Um, I think that I think that the thing that 2019 influenced their wi- their winning heading into the trading deadline is I think that it made them more confident in keeping Zach Wheeler especially, and I think it made them more confident in asking for the moon for their pieces because I think the Mets would have moved Syndergaard if they had gotten the package that like if they had gotten the right package that they would have liked. Mm-hmm. I think they would have moved him, but I think that they just raised their price so high that everybody else was just like, uh, "That's crazy." I but think if they- that was pretty common on the market this year because I really feel like the same you can say the same exact thing about Madison Bumgarner is that the yeah the Giants are just like you know we don't need to trade him so give us your best offer but we're probably not going to take it exactly and that's the attitude that the Mets ended up taking in the end like we don't have to trade Noah Syndergaard he has two more years of team control so well, that makes it like doubly awkward that they were talking shit about him then. yeah I know I know it's it's that is the worst um yeah. I think that Zach Wheeler especially it raised his price a lot the 2019 run like the week-long run into the trading deadline because mm-hmm. I thought going into the trading deadline like that morning when I woke up I was like all right the chances of Thor being traded are in my mind about 50 50-50. I thought the chances of Zach Wheeler were being traded were like at least 75%. Right. Uh, but the, in the end, they did not trade Wheeler. And Wheeler is a free agent at the end of the year. So he's oh, on okay. an expiring contract. Um, they could, they did, like, there was like one or two beat writers that had like a vague quote about like, maybe now we'll extend Wheeler instead. But I, I'll, be, I'll believe that shit when I see it. <laughs> is um, Syndergaard a free agent after this season? 
No, he has two more years. Two more years. Okay. So And then um, Strowman has one more year. So Wheeler's a free agent after and uh Matt's is also under control for like two more, at least two more. I think maybe even three more. Matt's so, yeah. is under the most team control. Gotcha. Okay, well then does seem pretty likely if they want to keep Wheeler, but it does seem like their best option is to get an extension. Yep. Or they could extend or they could just turn around and extend Strowman now. Yeah. And you know, and people have also been asking me how much the motivation on the part of the Mets via the Stroman trade was to just like basically hijack the market and corner all the pitchers that are, would be like the major asks for other teams. And just like because the Mets like and, and that's not an outlandish thing to think, unfortunately, because the Mets are extremely, extremely concerned about the Yankees and the Yankees have zero concern about the Mets. It's like, you know, it's a complex. <laughs> oh, we know how that goes over here. Exactly. So uh, it's a complex and, you know, and it's mostly on the part of it, it. It's a little bit with the fan base dynamic, but I feel like it's gotten less over time, but mm-hmm. it's mostly with ownership. Ownership is like extremely insecure. And so they will like do things just to own the Yankees all the time. And I feel like that might have played into their thinking a little bit in the Stroman trade is like, all right, we're going to acquire all the pitchers so that any any of the pitchers that the Yankees want, they have to go through us. And <laughs> we're going to reject your offer now. Nah, right. Oh, well, like it was a little bit of trolling. And honestly, like I'm on board trolling. The Yankees <laughs> is hilarious. If like if it's all going to be bad anyway, then might as well troll the Yankees. This is like bizarro land because we're having this conversation and it sounds so much like the conversation I had when I had um, Jamie Neal on when we were talking about the A's. <laughs> like you're, you sound. I'm not saying you like you as a Mets fan. It sounds so similar to how like A's fans feel. It's like I'm having like the Mr. Krabs head spinning moment. Yep. <laughs> it's well, much much maligned fan bases that are like very like cynical and like you know I don't know like second fiddle in their own city like very just like screw it just get the good players so other people can't have them <laughs> whatever eat Arby's like that's like very. <laughs> Well, thinking. the A's fans are less of, like, hoard the good players. They're more, like, trade all of the players. But they're, they do, like, like their marketing strategy is, like, troll the Giants. Troll Giants fans. And it's that's a topic we've had a whole other podcast about. But um, going back to the Mets pitchers, I mean, it's like they – the only one they – so the, the – the, well, actually, it's not technically the Mets pitchers. The, the big na- biggest name of the trade deadline, and let me know if you would agree, I would say it was Zach Gunke. Yes, yes. Yes. I did not see that coming. And Nor I did saw, I. I saw the best meme afterwards, and it was, um, are you a Marvel person? Do you like the Avengers? I I am not personally a Marvel person, but there are enough people in my life that are Marvel, Marvel people that I've, like, sort of absorbed it by osmosis a little That's bit. That's how I was. For, I got in kind of for these last couple of movies, so... It was the it was a picture of you know Thanos Thanos yes yes the okay. villain yes it was a picture of the um, Astros manager with his head on Thanos's body as he puts on the puts on the the, the gauntlet whatever he puts on the Infinity Gauntlet yeah right now right he's like now he's he's collected all of the good starting pitchers and now he's <laughs> like but it's true that rotation yeah. is crazy too like I mean obviously the Mets have a fantastic rotation. But like the Astros, it's like my brother. I broke the news to him and his uh, his his friend that he was uh, hanging out with is, I guess, an, an A's fan. And this probably speaks for a lot of A's fans. We're like, oh, god damn it. Yep. 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 <laughs> um, so that was that was a huge one. Um, and I can't think of other than Granky. I wouldn't say there were any like huge huge trades like did you notice there was that um there was that three-way trade for trevor bauer that was that was pretty crazy and it sent so um and puig was in that trade too so he got traded mid brawl mid brawl puig's (laughs) out here puig's out here fighting dudes when he's not even on his team anymore that's so Um, puig that was very puig and i loved it um maybe peak puig what maybe peak puig Peak Puig, yes. <laughs> That's hard to say. Um, yeah, say that three times fast. Uh, but yeah, I, so like Puig was in that deal, and then like it was Bauer, and then it was Framil Reyes on the on the Padres, and it was right. the the major major prospect from the Reds, uh, Tramel, mm-hmm. I think is his name. So that was like a pretty big trade. I wouldn't say quite as big as the Granky trade, just because they were like it wasn't like one piece that was the game changer for any of those teams, but like mm-hmm. it was a big it was a big trade that moved a lot of talent. 
And how how sad is it a little bit for the Diamondbacks, like what's happened over the last few seasons? And they got they had one of the best farm systems in baseball, and they got Zach Greinke, and that's kind of why they got Zach Greinke. And it's just has not gone anywhere. Like yeah, just, and yeah. Now they they were still they were in the mix, you know, around Giants Mets level in the standings and they just decided to completely sell and it's like man everybody's got a chance right now and you're just gonna give up exactly exactly which is unfortunate because like and that's why like even though even though I like think that you know any hopes of 2019 for the Mets might be slightly false I'm trying really hard to believe because like that's what a fan should do right like I want to believe in this Mets team I think they're actually good do I think that they're like playoffs good? I don't know. But like, and but I do think it's foolish to like make a last minute decision like the Mets have done. But on the other hand, I don't like, like to me selling and tanking and like all of that is very bad for the game. And I don't mm-hmm. like that. And that's why even though like on paper, like a week of play going into the trading deadline shouldn't have influenced the Mets as much as it perhaps did. I'm still kind of like low key happy that they did it because it's like, you know what? For once a team didn't sell, they decided to believe in their guys and go for it. And when more teams believe in their guys and when more teams like actually try to win, it makes the sport more fun. Well, and you know, along the same lines is it's like, if you decide to just, give up on your team halfway through the season what does that tell your players like right why should why should they have any motivation to play well for the team when the team showed them basically that they think they're terrible and they've given up on them yeah and i think that the the um the mets players at least received the non-trades of syndicate and wheeler quite well and mm-hmm. including stroman because um, I don't know how much you heard about the the Stroman kerfuffle kind of like right after the so, trade. Yeah, when he was uh, finding out where he would be traded. Yeah, and he was yeah. pretty pissed, apparently. Yeah. Um, which, like, I'm not, you know, there there are some Mets fans that are mad about that. I'm absolutely not mad about that because, you like, when you hear you're getting traded, especially when you've been at one, like, on one team your entire career and he's, like, grown to so, like, close with the Blue Jays fan base and with the city of Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand if you're going to be traded from that place that you love, you want to be traded to a team that's going to compete. And right. so the initial reaction being, like, God, the Mets? What the fuck? Like, I understand that. Um, well, and, it, you know, because that was, I would say, probably the earliest big splash of the trade deadline. Right. You would have assumed he would have gone to a contender because nobody else was making moves yet. Right, exactly. Um, but since then, I think that, like, since the initial reaction, he's, like, I mean, everything he's said ever since then has been, like, let's get after it. Like, all right, we're going for it now. This is why I'm here. So we're going to go out and we're going to compete and you know, it was it, it was nice to see. It was nice yeah. to see. Um, so I guess I'm gonna let you go. We're gonna go into our venting corner here, and because it sounds like yours was kind of along the same lines of our of what we've been talking about, I wanted to let you go first, and mine is too. So, but I'll let you go first. Sure. Um. So yeah, I alluded to this a little bit, but um, you know. My event is about the the Mets front office and the mostly ownership. Honestly, the front office is just a puppet for ownership. So it's hard for me to get mad at the general manager um, when it's really ownership that's driving all of this. But the Wilpons are honestly like one of the worst ownership groups in sports. They're just, they're terrible. And the Mets are so cheap for a team that plays in such a giant market. And it's so infuriating all the time because as a fan and like, I'm a Mets fan. I've dealt with losing most of my life. I can handle the losing, <laughs> like the bad seasons, the lost seasons, like that. I mean, it's 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 a grind, but like I can handle that. I'm used to that. What I can never get used to is just the other Mets shit, and that all stems from the Wilpons, like the toxic culture, the trashing players on the way out, the threatening beat reporters with bodily harm, like all these things. Like these are things that stem from a culture that is top down and it starts with ownership and they are just honestly like terrible people and i can't stand the fact that my team is owned by them they're the worst (laughs) is it fair to draw a comparison between the mets and the knicks yes it absolutely is um i am not i personally i am not like a big basketball person so i don't know as much as even like some other like mets fans do but like other mets fans who are also intense knicks fans draw this comparison a lot i mean Um, that's just like 
talk about your bad lot in life. It's like you have the miss. I don't say this in a. I say this more in terms of ownership. So I'm not trying to insult your team or your fan fandom of that team. I but got it. It's like the crap hand to pull. It's like Mets fan and Knicks fan. It's like just constantly getting kicked. And a lot of those people are Jets fans too. Oh, fun. Yeah. I I mean, I have I consider it a, both a blessing and a curse that I only really care about baseball. Like I don't right. follow other sports really. I follow soccer like but that's like a different thing. Um so like I don't I can't on one hand I sometimes I wish I cared about other sports so that I could like take refuge from the Mets being the Mets every once in a while because enough Metsing is really exhausting honestly. <laughs> Um, well, you and, know, Kevin Durant just went to the Nets, yeah. so that should be a good time to, like, start watching that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but they left New Jersey and went to freaking Brooklyn, so, true. you know. Um, but, like, I, like, on one hand, I would love to be able to take re- refuge from the Mets on occasion, but on the other hand, like, I can't imagine this this being spread across all sports I care about. Like, what? Right. And it's such a weird thing in that market, like that you're like you were talking about. It is such a huge market for them to just like own a team and just not give a you know what. Yep, yep. And like I always say a lot that like, and I'm not saying the Mets fan base is a perfect fan base. There are plenty no of fan to- bases. No fan bases. There are plenty of toxic elements within the Mets fan base. But one thing that the Mets fan base is is undyingly loyal in a way that this team does not deserve the players deserve it the players absolutely deserve it but the the ownership does not and you know it's always it's always a constant fight within the fan base of like you have like the camp of people that really 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 believe deep in their soul that this whole fan base needs to like essentially riot and boycott the team so they will like you know, they will grandstand and give fans shit for going to games. Like if you post a picture on Twitter, like, look at me, I'm at the Mets game, like a nice, like harmless picture. They'll be like, right. you're giving the Wilpons your money. How dare you? So there's like that whole side of the fan base. And then there's the other side that like will go to games no matter what. And like, you know, aren't even cognizant of ownership. So those two sides right. clash a lot. Um, and it's hard being in the middle of that and understanding like what this ownership is and and having misgivings about giving them my money, but then also like being a rabid fan and like understanding that like I need baseball to make me happy and I'm not going to let the Wilpons control me that way and like control my life that way such that I can't do this thing that makes me happy, you know? Yeah, I would say we're kind of in, okay, not in terms of like ownership and how they run the team, but ownership and things they do off. Uh, away from baseball right like we have charles johnson who's donating to racists and yeah larry bear who is dragging his wife out of a chair and throwing her on the ground so oh god this is gonna get some heated comments um so and, and it's the same i think in every team is this you have parts of the 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 fan base that are gonna defend ownership no matter what whether it's out of like crazy loyalty or in these specific instances they don't think they did anything wrong which we hear a lot i will Uh, never understand literally standing these millionaires like what like what are you getting out of this exactly absolutely i could not agree with you more um i think for some people they the way that they enjoy the game is thinking about it like logistically and how they would run the team and how they yeah yeah and I, and, and I get it everybody enjoys it in their own way but I cannot understand I'm right with you I can't understand why anyone would like take the side of ownership it's like they're well that that's we could do a whole other podcast about that topic and maybe yep. we will at some point um it wouldn't be the first time it came up maybe we'll get like t- we'll get a super team together and we'll go just go in depth on it that would be awesome i'd be on board so my uh my vent or my rant is what it is really is about trades being announced after the deadline which gets <laughs> me not every year because the giants aren't active in at the deadline every year but every year that they are so I so a few years ago I can't remember I think it was three years ago the Giants traded Matt Duffy and it was announced right or it was announced a few minutes after the trade deadline so like one o'clock hit and everybody was like oh, breathe a sigh of relief we made it through it wasn't too bad and like six minutes later it was like yep. Matt Duffy's been traded and it was like everybody was losing their mind it was like that community gif of like he walks in and everything's on fire 
Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So this year, I, I was like, okay, you know what? They're not getting me again. So I'm going to take my lunch from 12.15 to 1.15. So that gives them a few minutes extra to announce everything, and I should be able to get back to work. Because, you know, we have to work on the trade deadline, whether or not we want to, because it's right. in the middle of the week. So, um so I'm sitting there, and you know, little bits, of, little bits of news are coming out. Other teams are making moves. It was kind of hard to keep up with everything. Like one o'clock, was on. Okay, okay, they, they could still announce trades. I'm not getting comfortable yet. And then it was like one fifteen or like one ten. Everything went like Ape crazy, shit. absolutely crazy. Like what is happening? Yeah, the, the same exact thing happened to me. Like so, like I mean, obviously, like I'm three hours ahead, so I wasn't taking lunch. But like my hours are at work are eight a.m. to four p.m. And so I decided I was like, I'm just gonna stay at work a little late today in case there's like a late breaking because I have like an uh, over an hour long commute, uh, mm-hmm. like driving commute. Oh, and so okay. like if while I'm driving, I don't know like what's happening on Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm gonna be like completely like you know under a rock for an hour so i don't want to like miss anything so i was like i'm gonna stay at work until 4 15 and at 4 15 i'm going to leave and i like <laughs> literally was getting up out of my desk and my phone pinged and was like zach cranky and i was like you're shitting <laughs> <laughs> well yeah and so it wasn't just like so that was the big one but it was like specifically the giants it's like they waited they hoarded all of their news Yep. And then released it the second I had to come back from lunch. And I was like, what the? F- oh, God. And they traded this guy. And they got the. What's going on? Ah! What are we giving up? Who are we getting? I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't care for that. It's like, there needs to be a hard deadline. A deadline, like, we will. And look, so you need to have everything figured out by 1 o'clock or 4 o'clock, I guess, the actual deadline. And then it will all be announced at 4.30. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't like, that seem... We'll have a, a press conference, and we'll announce right. all of the trades. Right. It's like, so we're not losing our... And I guess if you're a normal person, because let's, let's face it, the vast, vast majority of the country isn't on Twitter. Um, so if you're yeah. a normal person, and you're just kind of waiting for news to break, probably not that big of a deal. But if you're sitting there refreshing your Twitter feed, like, every half second to see what the next trade's going to be, and you're watching everything come through in real time, it's maddening. Yeah, like, and thinking about, like, like, because, like, when you're people like us who, like, write about the teams, you're sitting mm-hmm. there, like, refreshing your Twitter, like, what? how much am I going to have to write today? Well, right, and so I, I think, well, I was working, so I wasn't able to be on duty, and our guys did a great job, um, but there was, like, people, and I'm saying people who were all on the same timeline, all watching the same tweets going through, and, uh, you know, in our community on McCovey Chronicles, like, everybody was posting things as it would happen, and people were like, I have no idea what's going on. And they would completely miss entire trades or entire deals because there was just too much going on. And right. there's just people that were, like, hyper-focused on it. And it was just happening way too fast. So that's that's my proposal in the future is, like, the, the hard deadline is at 4 o'clock. They have a half hour to sort their, their stuff out and get ready to announce everything. We just have to wait. And we don't need, like, any wash bombs of people coming in, you know, breaking the news. <laughs> no, no, no. Hard deadline. And then set time to announce for everything and screw you insiders you know what I mean yeah right exactly I love insiders don't get me wrong I love you know getting finding out the rumors and stuff like that but at a certain point it's just like we don't have to live like this we do not we do not have to live like this (laughs) this a very similar thing it wasn't quite like so late breaking that it was like 4 15 eastern but the cesspit in 2015 Mm-hmm. Mets, the Cespedes trade broke mm-hmm. at like 402 or something like that. Yeah. Like it was like, it was crazy because everyone thought that nothing was going to happen. Right. I remember being that naive person. You're like, okay, okay, it's one o'clock. We made it. We made it. Yeah, no, no. And it with the Mets, it was like the opposite. Like everyone right. was like, not like we made it. Everyone was like, Aww. we didn't do anything. Like, are you kidding me? We didn't do anything. And then they did the biggest thing. Right. Oh my god! See, that's that's the way you want it to go through. Yeah, you don't that's want to be the, on the other end of that trade at one at four o two, and you're gonna be on the other end and like, oh, what the hell? Yep. Yeah. Um. That's kind of where we were. Well, kind of where we were in 2016 with Duffy, and that he was a huge fan favorite, and so that's why it was like um such a hard hard one to process because you know I wouldn't say he was like the best player on the team. But he was really well loved, and when you lose guys like that, it's it's hard to process, especially coming at t- coming to you at a hundred miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, 
you know, I am intimately familiar with that as a Mets fan who lived through the Wilmer Flores crying oh, situation. Oh my God, that might have been the same year. It was the same year. It was 2015. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, so it was one year before, but right, it was the right. same year as the Cespedes as trade. Cespedes, so basically yeah. what happened was, is the Mets were going to trade. It was like announced. The trade was announced like on Twitter. It wasn't announced by the team, but it was announced by like, you know, Ken Rosenthal or whomever, like, right. like, you know, the like tr- more trusted outlet. And he was on the field. Yeah. And he was on the field. It was announced that Wilmer Flores and Zach Wheeler, Zach Wheeler as well. People like lose track of that, but it was also right. Zach Wheeler. Um, but Zach Wheeler just wasn't out on the field because he wasn't pitching that day. Right. Wilmer Flores and Zach Wheeler for um, Carlos Gomez was supposed to be the trade for to the Brewers. And like Flores crying on the field. So everyone knows that story. And then like yeah. it didn't happen. So that's like the that's the problem with like Twitter and with like. Right these trades is and like wanting to be like the first person to announce something. And it's like, well, it, one, it could fall through. And two, the players don't know yet. And right. you know, and people in the stands, I, I think, isn't that how he found out? It was like somebody in the stands saw it on Twitter and said something to him while he was on the field. Or yes. Th- yes. Yeah, basically. Okay. Yes. And I, like, it's obviously a much smaller scale version of that, but um, the, one of the prospects that the Mets traded to get Stroman, Anthony Kay found out on Twitter that he was trading. Yeah. That's the, all goes towards my plan where we have deadline, wait a half hour, then everybody, everything is announced. Yep. No Twitter. Obviously, that's going to be a lot of news at one time because every team's going to be making announcements. But you can follow the announcement for your team and get all the information and then catch up later. I don't know. We'll workshop it. Yeah. We'll, we'll so, form a working group. Yes. We'll, 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 keep, we'll get that super group we talked about for the other topic and we'll get everybody on it. Um, so we'll, uh, switch on over. We like to close out our podcast by having our guests, um, give us their favorite cocktail recipes. So do you have one? Um, yeah. So I am overwhelmingly a beer drinker. So I'm like pretty like, you know, when I do drink liquor, it's rare, but like there are a couple of like go-tos. I'm like primarily a gin person and a bourbon person. Those are like my Mm -hmm. two liquors that I enjoy. Um, so like, Traditionally, if I'm not drinking beer, I'm drinking gin and soda. Um, but like, obviously, <laughs> that's not like a cocktail. That's just gin and soda. But like, what I like to do to spice it up a little bit is I put Saint Germain in it, and I really like that. So I don't know if, how much people are familiar with Saint Germain elderflower liqueur, but that I really enjoy like a little splash of that in my gin and soda. I feel like it adds a little extra. Also, with the lime juice, it's really good. So. Um, yeah, don't feel bad about that because when I did mine, because when we had our first episode, like I did one, one, two, um, and mine was mine was literally uh, vodka tonic and lime. So there you, you know, go. Yeah, it's an improvement. Gin soda with a little Saint Germain. My other alternative one is like more of a like like my gin soda Saint Germain is like my go-to. Like that's like a thing I drink a lot. Um, but this is like more of a fun thing that you can do for like a party that I like. that I did once for like a Harry Potter themed party that I went to it they called it pumpkin juice um Mm -hmm. but it was basically like bourbon and cider and like uh like pumpkin spice and Mm -hmm. it was so good my roommate tried to make a pumpkin juice type drink when um when I first moved out on my own and it was the most disgusting thing I've ever had but she tried to make butterbeer too again the most disgusting thing I've ever had. So I've had mixed results to... with butterbeer. I've like had mm-hmm. some recipes that have been really good and other ones that have been really bad. Yeah. Like I think the, are the ones, have you ever been to the theme parks that have the Harry Potter lands? I have. Okay. So is there, their butterbeer, they don't have like um, alcoholic butterbeer, right? No, it's, it's, okay. yeah, it's, it's not booze, but it's good. It's, right. And I've heard like across the board that it's good, but it's like, I would want to taste how they did an, an alcoholic uh, butterbeer, but they, I agree. Okay, so do you have anything um, going on right now that you'd like to tell everybody about or direct everybody towards? Sure. So most of the time you can find my words at Amazing Avenue. Um, You can follow me on Twitter. I am at Petite PhD on Twitter. Um, I am, I recently wrote a piece for Baseball Prospectus as well um, for Women in Baseball Week um, about the um about the US women's national soccer team and how women's baseball should you know build on the success of that team and how women's baseball should really be invested in equally um as a game and how basically like little girls who love baseball deserve a hero like Megan Rapino. Um so I wrote a, a piece to that um theme over on Baseball Perspective so you can check that out but most of the time my words are um at Amazing Avenue so you can find me there. 
Okay, cool. Allison, thank you so much for joining me this week. It's been a blast. Of course, Sammy, anytime. We'll form that working group. I'll come back. <laughs> there we go. All right, everybody, have a great week. Big thanks to Allison for joining us this week. You can follow her work on Amazing Avenue or on Twitter at PetitePhD, and I'll post a link to her Baseball Prospectus article in the post for this podcast on McCovey Chronicles. Don't forget to subscribe to the McCovey Croncast feed to catch all of our latest episodes of The Happy Hour, The Prospects Podcast, and The Original Croncast. And if you feel so inclined, rate and review as well. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.